Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Keeping Pace in Lung Cancer. How would you treat case-based learning in EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to the Keeping Pace in Lung Cancer educational series. With the ever-evolving genomic landscape in non-small cell lung cancer, it is imperative to incorporate molecular profiling into the diagnostic journey. Let's dive right into EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Mark Sosinski. And I'm Dr. John Hamack. So let's get started. EGFR mutations are the most common genomic variant in non-small cell lung cancer, and there are a vast number of treatment options available. With the complexity of EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer, treatment selection and sequencing admittedly is an art. To demonstrate this, we'll walk through a patient case together. We'll consider diagnostics, appropriate sequencing of available therapeutic treatment options, and what to do when a patient progresses on a frontline agent. Dr. Haymack, do you have a case for us? Sure. I can take you through a patient I've been following now for a little bit more than two years. So the patient is a 58-year-old, non-smoking woman from South Texas. That's relevant because Texas is a very big state. She lives over 300 miles away, but people will drive long distances here. And she presented with a persistent cough. She had been to her primary doctor several times and gotten antibiotics. It had been treated, got a little bit better, then it recurred, was treated again with antibiotics. During this time, she had worsening back pain. And eventually, as part of her workup for back pain, an MRI was done, and it showed suspicious lesions on her back. And that triggered a workup that saw a right upper lung mass, some mediastinal adenopathy, and a PET scan showed several presumed bone metastases, three or four of them, as I recall. We ended up sending a liquid biopsy test in addition to ordering a a tissue biopsy. Initially, the tissue biopsy did not have sufficient tissue. The liquid biopsy biopsy revealed an EGFR L858R mutation, so a classic exon 21 mutation. That was her initial presentation. So let me pause there. Dr. Sosinski, do you want to take us through your initial thoughts about this and you know how you would handle the, the diagnosis of patients like this, molecular profiling and so forth? Yeah, this is a clinical presentation that we see not too infrequently, actually. Never smoker who presents with stage four disease. The biopsy presumably showed adenocarcinoma in this patient. She's a never smoker. As you mentioned, there are always issues with the adequacy of the initial tissue biopsy. And certainly plasma-based testing is a very clinically useful approach in doing comprehensive genomic testing. You know, I think in these patients, the critical aspect is to do it in my clinic, I actually test both uh, tissue as well as plasma on a next-generation sequencing platform to make sure that we cover all the potential genomic alterations that are out there nowadays. Remember, we have nine biomarkers in which the FDA has approved targeted therapies for. So it's important that that initial comprehensive testing does cover all of these targets because of the availability of treatments, generally which tends to be more effective, at least from a 
a response rate point of view than standard chemotherapy. And in general, this is a population that doesn't enjoy as much benefit from immunotherapy as, say, a smoking population might. So the concept of comprehensive genomic testing is important. In this case, you found probably the most likely thing, which was an EGFR mutation. We know the vast majority of the EGFR mutations are either the exon 19 deletions or, in this case, the exon 21 L858R mutation. I think from a therapeutic point of view, she obviously is symptomatic from stage 4 disease. I think the two options that one might consider would be osimertinib based on the flora data. It showed it a superior to first-generation drugs in this setting, both erlotinib and gefitinib, with slightly better toxicity profile also. And there's also the ease of the convenience of taking a once-a-day pill. You know, we've had some interesting data recently with regard to the use of erlotinib plus ramucirumab, particularly in the exon 21L858R population, showing activity very similar to osimertinib also, but obviously a very different approach, a first-generation EGFR-TGI in combination with an anti-VEGF drug. So, John, you've always had an interest in targeting VEGF, and this is a population which may get greater benefit from targeting VEGF. I wonder what your thoughts and what did you do in this particular case? Yeah, well, we presented exactly those opportunities to her. So on one hand, there's osimertinib, as you mentioned, well-tolerated, active drug. But we also discussed with her the relay regimen, so the combination of erlotinib and ramucirumab. We went through the pluses and minuses here. You know, the fact that she had an EGFR L858R mutation, that's a mutation that tends to not do as well with osimertinib as the exon 19 deletion. It seems like from the relay regimen that L858R mutation patients did not have that detriment that they did with osimertinib. So sometimes with the L858R mutation, that'll push people towards the relay regimen. As you mentioned before, osimertinib is well-tolerated in oral. In her case, you know, as I went through these different options, she found it very appealing that she could potentially get osimertinib after the relay regimen if she had a T790M mutation. So John, tell me, have you had experience with the relay regimen, the erlotinib plus ramucirumab? This is a regimen that I do discuss with patients who are newly diagnosed, those who don't have brain metastases, particularly for those with L858R mutations. Those are a bit tougher to, to treat. And what I discuss with patients, the combination of ramucirumab and erlotinib has virtually identical outcome as osimertinib in the first-line setting, but has the option that if resistance developed by a T790M mutation, patients can then go on to osimertinib in the second-line setting if they do have that mutation. So essentially, it gives patients possibility of avoiding chemotherapy for longer. So I review this with patients, and I have used it a number of times. I think it tends to be patients that are have a better performance status, don't have brain metastases. And in my experience, patients who are willing to come in for the treatment every few weeks and are more interested in retaining as many options as possible as they go along. So in those cases, I think this is absolutely an appropriate regimen because you have similar outcomes in the first-line setting but retain the possibility of using osimertinib later. And I think it's important to note that on the relay trial, the rate of the development of T790M was the same whether or not the patients received ramucirumab. So that was certainly a plus, and that's just one of the reasons why it really seems worthwhile to profile your patients on resistance. Have you, Dr. Sosinski, come across other mechanisms of resistance you've been able to target after biopsying these patients? 
I think the concept of rebiopsy is important. In a case like this, it was very informative. And here you have substantial clinical benefit from what you learned with the process of retesting, whether it's a, a tissue biopsy or whether it's a plasma-based next-generation sequencing approach. So, you know, there have been reports of other secondary EGFR mutations, not quite clear how to handle that. There have been other bypass tracks that have been described that may offer an opportunity for a targeted approach. So I think the take-home message here is to think about retesting patients at the time of disease progression because you may open up a very good option for them that you otherwise wouldn't know about or think about if you didn't do the testing. Well, John, this has been a fascinating conversation. Before we wrap up, I just gave my take-home message about retesting and how it can be helpful in certain cases to direct therapy. What's your take-home message for the audience today? Well, first of all, that treatment options for EGFR mutant patients is really growing rapidly. We've got a couple of good first-line options now. Osimertinib, the relay regimen with ramisirumab and erlotinib are both good options. New options are coming. And there's a lot of these resistance mechanisms that are targetable. I agree fully with you that it's important to biopsy these patients at progression, understand why the resistance is happening, and then either look for an appropriate combination or look for a clinical trial where appropriate. And we always have chemotherapy therapy down the road. Fortunately, we haven't had to go to chemotherapy yet for my patient here from South Texas, but we do know that is an option down the road if needed. Always an option. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank our audience for listening in. And thank you, Dr. Haymack, for joining me and sharing all your valuable insights. It was great speaking with you today. Yep. Thank you as well. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.